Hi, this is JR from Design Museum Everywhere. I'm the exhibitions manager and editor for our We Design book that is dropping this year. We Design has taken on several different forms. You may have seen the in-person free exhibitions in schools and public buildings or our online virtual exhibition. Now, with your support, we're producing a book. It will feature 41 design stories of designers who refuse the confines of white supremacy and are creating innovative spaces, products, systems, and strategies at the forefront of contemporary design. We believe design can change the world. If you believe in the transformative power of design, we ask you to join us in lifting up the powerful and innovative voices of BIPOC, female, and gender expansive designers and back this project to bring this new book to life. Check out designmuseumeverywhere.org for more details and keep an eye out for the We Design book coming soon. Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of Design Museum Everywhere. Each week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our everyday lives. We always have the help of a new guest co-host who's an expert in their field, and then together we interview another guest about their work in design, because design is everywhere, and so are we. This week, we're chatting about the role of design in the hospitality industry. I'll be joined by Denise Korn. She's the founder and creative director of Yellow And, a dynamic creative consultancy that brings together the power of a multidisciplinary mindset and bold talent with a fresh perspective. And later on together, we'll chat with Bashar Wali, a hotelier and founder of Practice Hospitality and This Assembly. Bashar can speak to the ins and outs of the hospitality industry because as he says, he has done it all. Together, we'll talk about the impact of design in shaping hotel experiences. But first, I want to recognize some of our newest members and partners at the Design Museum. So a big thank you to Massachusetts College of Art and Design, who just renewed their big academic membership, which means every student, faculty, and staff of MassArt is now a member of the museum. We love having you all. Many of you know this, but we incubated Design Museum back in the day in MassArt and the MassArt community was so important for us getting the museum off the ground. Thank you, MassArt, for your support. We're happy to have you involved. I also want to thank Katie Schischheim, who is a new magazine subscriber, and Elizabeth McKellis, who is a new individual member. Thank you all. I want to thank all of our members. Your support makes this show and everything we do at the museum possible. If you like this podcast, Design Museum Everywhere has so many programs for you to enjoy. You can join a global community of design thinkers and change makers. We have our online exhibitions, our live virtual events, our quarterly magazine. We really provide our members with some really cool, unique opportunities to learn about, engage with, and experience design. So check out designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on membership. And with that, onto this week's topic, the hotel experience can make or break your travel memories. We've all been there. Maybe the hotel bed was too firm, the sheets were too scratchy, the overall experience was unorganized. Today, we're looking at the decisions seen and unseen that make a hospitality experience captivating, seamless, and truly elevating your travel. I'm joined by my longtime friend, mentor, advocate, amazing person, and my co-host this week, Denise Korn. Denise is the founder and creative director of Yellow And, a dynamic creative consultancy working with C-level visionaries, impassioned leaders, and fearless entrepreneurs. 
Corn is a convener, activist, mentor, and champion of diversifying the creative economy. She's often referred to as the hospitality whisperer. Denise's award-winning work lives deeply in the realm where hospitality, lifestyle, and culture intersect. Denise, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to see you. Hey, Sam. Can you kind of characterize what are all the facets that design kind of plays a part in in terms of hospitality? I think that design is is in every component of what the experience feels like. And with the digital play that's come well into um, the forefront of everyone's lobe when they're making a travel choice or decision, all the way through to the experience while they're on property, and we can talk a little bit about how technology has started to play different roles. And then the physical is super important. And one of the joys and, and um, honors that I've had is to work with some of the most incredible architects and interior designers across the planet who have reinvented the way to create this sort of like envelope of welcome and comfort. Everything that comes in, you come in contact with is, is memorable. And it needs to marry with the expectations of what you're looking for when you make a choice to kind of check in. I checked into my first treehouse last week. Oh, what was that like? It was phenomenal. I had the the luck of getting on a plane and flying down to St. John. Um, it was a property that we opened during COVID and the accommodations just opened just before Christmas. But I actually stayed in a treehouse and um, it was fantastic. And, you know, what, it, what, it, what do you think about when you're, you know, crafting and designing and strategizing what that full experience is in a treehouse is very different than when you're checking into a limited service hotel while you're working on from the road. But in the end, it's all about serving and taking care of people. And it's just the human experience and, and the human condition and hospitality wraps itself around you for a period of time. And I love that about the work that we do in the space. Does design get involved in sort of those human interactions? Like, how do you actually like design that? Well, I would say that service and the actual like role of hospitality is that human connection. And I've thought a lot about that space, which is often overlooked by a developer that might come into the space for the first time and is checking all the boxes on how to get a hotel open and operating. And there's a lot of design checkpoints along that trajectory, but it's the people that you meet and whom you interact with, whether it's, you know, on a an 800 call line or whether it's when you walk in the door. And there's so much conversation about touchless and people-less, you know, self-serve, all of that. But in the end, we're learning that everyone wants to know that there's a human being on the other end of, of the experience that you're checking into. And so training is really key. And I work in the space of the, I, I work a lot with hoteliers to create independent hotels and independent experiences. And so whether it's an independent hotel or whether it's a hotel that's part of a larger national or global brand, the brand strategy and the DNA of what the experience is meant to deliver, it gets delivered through a combination of things, but first and foremost, it's through human beings. So training and adoption, and I always talk a lot about empowering the people that are your, they're like the front edge of pushing through and, and into the world. And, and, it ha and they're there 24 seven. Um, designers and even owners are not there 
in the mix in that holistic moment um, and all kinds of things. I, if you if you fly in, like you take a, an overhaul flight and you get to your room and there's no hot water, that's kind of a human basic necessity. Probably the first person you're going to meet in that hotel, whether it's a six plus star or limited service, is the engineer. He or she needs to know what their voice and what their position is around serving that customer in that place under the the ethos of what that brand and that experience stands for. And it can be very empowering. I'm curious, like in the design process for these, like what's often overlooked in terms of making these experiences successful? It ranges dramatically from owner vision to brand to positioning of whatever that brand is about. But I don't really care about that (laughs) as much (laughs) as the fact that a hotel which is open to a community or open to the public, needs to consider its unique context, whether it's, again, whether it's a um, global brand or whether it's an independent. And I think there's a huge opportunity for owners and for the general managers of these properties and the, the leadership teams of these properties have a huge opportunity to really authentically engage with their community and play a role as an anchor, physically as an anchor. And I hate to see places that feel like the door is not welcoming and not open, and it doesn't play any kind of a connection or role. So one of the opportunities for design is to kind of send signals to all that you're welcome here and and what that feels like. And it's not the same. From threshold to threshold, it changes. But I see that more and more an opportunity to kind of dig deeper into what's going on in the world and have these properties reflect the communities that they're within and that they serve. I wonder if you can talk about, you know, it's one thing to design this beautiful hotel, a beautiful experience, but you got to pe- get people to there, right? And so how does that experience then extend outside through marketing? You mentioned, you know, the web and technology. How does your work, you know, in design bridge that gap so that people are like, oh, that looks like an experience that I want to have. Yeah. um, There's always new players coming into the market. And I think the last couple of years have really forced a lot of um, properties to, to seriously consider how they're telling their story online and how they keep their, their loyal customers engaged. I've always said this and I'm like a broken record, but imagery is worth a thousand words in terms of painting a picture for what it will feel like to be in a place. And some brands really get it right. And you really get a flavor and a feeling for their personality through the art direction and the creative direction of how to bring their their brands to life visually. And I also think words do matter. Um, the way that, that, a, that a company talks about itself and how it, it wants to communicate um, with its audiences it really is very different from brand to brand, and um, you know some of the some of the brands that I think are doing it really well, and a lot of the independent hotels that really do it well. It's a full time um, garden that needs to be tended, and constantly needs to be nimble enough to reflect all the things that are impacting the way people feel in the world every day. And it's not a a small barrier of entry. And it's not a an easy thing to maintain over time. And so my role is, is kind of like a bluebird on the shoulder of an owner that's trying to keep a place fresh and relevant and in the game of being a coveted place to to spend time, whether it's a local that really loves, you know, 
loves the bar or uses it as sort of an extension of their neighborhood, like the living room to the neighborhood, or whether it's a, an international traveler that really, you know, has the confidence that whenever they check in there, it's going to feel and look a certain way. All of that is really hard to keep fresh and maintain. And, you know, everything from like the Citizen M, I think, does a really great job at engaging local artists and, and musicians and like the local culture of where they they are. But the room product itself is exactly the same, right. whether you're in <laughs> Copenhagen or whether you're in New York. And um, so there's something about that that that, you know, psychologically plays a role in, in the choice to go with Citizen M. And, you know, for me, I think that the element of surprise and delight comes through and you can kind of feel whoever is behind propelling that property into the world. You can feel the love and care. And if I don't feel it, I'm out. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> That's a great place to stop. If I don't love it, I'm out. <laughs> Thank you, Denise, for sharing. So great. Listeners, to see more of Denise's work, visit yellowandpartners.com. And Denise, stick around, and we'll bring Bashar Wali into the conversation after a quick break. Design Museum Everywhere's week-long event, Design Museum Week, is coming soon. Join us April 25th to 29th to celebrate accomplishments, share new ideas, and inspire through design. The week will reconceptualize design's role in 21st century systems and issues through dozens of events that mash up our 12 impact areas. Workplace, business, play, entrepreneurship, sustainability, education, healthcare, social impact, data visualization, diversity, vibrant cities, and civic innovation. Design Museum Week 2022 will feature five days of hybrid online, offline events that spark conversation, inspire leaders, and educate professionals working in all areas of design. While most sessions will be virtual, we look forward to welcoming attendees for in-person gatherings as well in cities across the U.S. Go to designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on events to get your tickets today. And we're back, and we're joined by our special guest, Bashar Wali, a born leader and a bit of a rebel. Bashar can speak to the ins and outs of the hospitality industry because he has done it all. As chief executive officer at Practice Hospitality and the founder at This Assembly, Bashar is a hospitality evangelist, hotel fanatic, deal maker, risk taker, and passionate leader. He is most at home on the road. Bashar eats, sleeps, and breathes this calling that we call hospitality. Bashar, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wow, that was amazing. I want to meet me now. Yeah, you are awesome. So this is a design podcast. So I want love to ask you, you've been in so many hotels, worked in so many hotels. What do most hotels get right? And what do most hotels get wrong? And if you can tie it to design decisions, bonus points. So part of my living the fanatic hotel lifestyle that I uh, claim and own in order for me to really own it um, I have this neurotic behavior that I partake in, and that is I never stay in any hotel more than once or one night. So if I'm in New York for three nights, I move three times. And I've kept track in Manhattan, although in many other cities I've run out of hotels and have to repeat. But in Manhattan, the center of the universe, it's hard to run out. And I've recently stayed in my 215th hotel. 
So I tell people for the street cred part, when I answer your question, I actually like, I know what I'm talking about. And it's funny because when you ask, what do people get right and what do they get wrong? And to distill it down, because I could, you know, chapter and verse, spend an hour telling you about what people get wrong and or right for that matter. And I give credit where credit is due. But I think often those who get it right, put the consumer front and center. And, you know, there's this idea of human-centric design, like build it for how the humans will interact with it, not how you think they should interact with it, nor how you think it would look while they interact with it. Because the minute you put the human first, the design becomes secondary and it's there to serve a purpose versus putting the design first, in which case, like I've stayed in hotels before where I jokingly say, I need to do human origami to get into my bed. That's cute (laughs) for a photo, but it's not cute when you're actually endeavoring to get into your bed. And it's funny, I tell designers, and Denise, this this will resonate with you. I literally say, if you win an award for doing this job, I will never hire you again. Because the minute you put the award as your North Star, you lose perspective. But if you really are trying to build, if you go back to my quote about welcoming people into your own home, when I walk into your home, I want it to feel warm. I want it to feel like my home, not feel like an art gallery or feel like a museum, because then it loses that warmth. So I would say those who get it right always focus on the end user not the design or the award or the trends or, or, or. And those who get it wrong, obviously do it for the opposite reasons. They ever, uh, I'll throw up in my mouth as I say this, the Instagrammable moment. Who cares? That's a moment, right? If I'm in a hotel 48 hours, don't design my entire experience based on the moment. Design it on the 23 hours and 59 minutes that I'm going to spend there away from the Instagrammable moments. Yeah. And, and Sam, we we talked about how when people think about design for hospitality, they go right to the physical space. They go right to the interior design, the architecture, the street presence, blah, blah, blah. And really, design can play a, a pretty impactful role, I, even more so to Bashar's point, in, in terms of the, designing the human experience and how it ties or tethers to what that place stands for and what it's all about. Um, it's not the same experience from, you know, one threshold to the next in the same neighborhood. Um, every place is different and every home is different. And um, so design with a big D really should breathe and live throughout these projects and throughout the process. And in fact, I sort of joke, half jokingly say, I want to judge the quality of your offering walking into your lobby, blindfolded with earplugs on, holding my nose. Because the idea is if you really think, this, this is now, this is my pontification. People say we're in the service industry. And I say service is something you deliver. My dentist is in the service industry where I get my oil change. They're in the service industry. Hospitality to me is fundamentally different. And hospitality is how you make people feel. And that sort of energy that you get from how you're made to feel, sure, design contributes to it. It's one of the elements. And so is art. And so is scent. And so is the music and, 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 and. But fundamentally, it's, you know, people talk about the warm and fuzzy. You get that from humans. So when I walk into your lobby, your design is important secondarily, but you've got to make me feel warm and fuzzy because I am there not to admire the design. I am there to make your place my home for that one night, two nights, week that I'm there. And sure, I love your art, but if I feel cold there and unwelcomed, who cares about your art and your design? So really this idea of the soft part of hospitality being centered around feelings, not things, changes your perspective. So you're either going to say I'm in the magazine cover business and design a hotel for a magazine, or you're going to say, shock and awe, I call it, right? Sort of that hero image. Or you're going to say, 
I am in the hospitality business. My job is to make people feel good when they walk into my building, utilizing all these things. But at the center of it all is the human, period. Yeah, I love that. We listened to a recent talk you gave, and you really stressed the importance of listening to guests. And I'm curious, and this actually could be for both of you, um, how that works, right? Like how, how do you connect with guests and then how do those learnings then manifest in either that project or future projects? So generally speaking, I'm in this business. I went to school for it. It is not rocket science. I'm sorry to tell you, I am not that smart. You do not need to be that smart to run hotels. If you believe in what I said, that this is an innate thing built in all of us, you just need to get it out of you and be nice and welcome people in, right? So at the end of the day, if I could wave a magic wand and create a bona fide scientific way to pre-screen potential hires for their emotional intelligence aptitude. In fact, I'm working or in discussion with uh, the dean of uh, the School of Hospitality Administration at Boston University about this very idea. Because by the way, damn your Cornell degree or Swiss hotel, Swiss hotel degree or whatever you went, I don't really care. At the end of the day, if you are not empathetic and have emotional intelligence, this industry is not for you. So to answer your question is you've got to observe, right? You cannot force upon me what your corporation deems to be the right level of service. The right set level of service is a very individual choice. So I use the example of I walk up to the front desk to check in. You should be able to tell, I don't want to talk to you. Don't tell me about the spa. Don't, don't say a word. Hand me my key and say, bye. Don't tell me where the elevator is. I can hear it. But Denise shows up and she's shuffling her bag and she's complaining about her flight. Clearly, she wants you to engage with her. So if we can find that magic of creating a way, again, it's another something that's innate, being having emotional intelligence. But if we could find a way to screen you for it and then emphasize your ability to utilize it freely, I think we win. Because then you're not giving me, and to pick on Rich Carlton for a minute, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, because you memorized some credo card that was forced upon you, which may completely mean nothing to me, read me, understand me, and then give me what I want. So this idea of personalization and individuality to me is the ultimate success long-term. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree, Bashar. And I think that um, we were talking earlier about everybody isn't wired or even trained to trust their own personal take on their job, (laughs) on their role. And the best places and the places that get it right allow that to sort of be valued and empower people to be themselves and make it personal, not make it come from outer space or some, you know, from left field. But, you know, there's just sort of like baked in idea, especially in the hotel schools, that there's all these SOPs and protocols and blah, blah, blah. And um, that's, that's personally why I, why I was drawn very much to the independent space is because, you know, you write your own playbook. And when you write your own playbook, I love to write it with the people that are delivering the human connection. And truth be told to add, I believe the future of luxury, sort of this generation's definition of luxury, is this idea of ultra-personalization, which literally means give me what I want when I want it. Don't assign me a butler because that's what your company does. I don't want a butler. It seems so out of touch. Give me what I want when I want it for me, which may be different for someone else and different for the next person. So how do you find a way to accomplish this logically and financially in a financially responsible way? And that's really where technology comes into play. And you asked about this, Sam, earlier. Like, 
once I stay with you once, like I use this example often, I like my room at 64 degrees year round. Like you should know that about me if I've stayed with you more than once. Now, obviously I haven't stayed with you more than once, so it's hard for someone like me, but all you have to do is spend two minutes on Google and you'll find something where I said that. Do that for me and you'll win me for life as opposed to giving me whatever you think I might want, a bottle of wine or whatever. So really this idea of personalization, and I think we as a society have lost our identity because we're all part of teams or tribes or socioeconomics or 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 race or 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 etc. I think ultimately you are you, you are an individual. And I don't care what color you are, what religion you are, what socioeconomic, you are you, and your needs are going to be different than Denise's. So how do I find a way to cater to you in a way that makes you feel that I've treated you like an individual. You know, the 215 hotels, people say, well, what stands out? What's your favorite? And I say again, what a tough question. And, And my generic answer is I only remember when someone goes out of their way and genuinely gives a shit. The bar is so low right? and ultimately <laughs> it is about someone making me believe, even for a moment, pretending to make me believe that they care for me. I couldn't tell you what kind of flooring material is at the Baccarat and I can't tell you what kind of art is at the Crosby Hotel. I'm sure it was all lovely, but at the end, what I remember is that. And it really is sort of the self-actualization because when you recognize me as an individual, I've peaked. I've, I've achieved my Maslow's self-actualization. As a woman, over the past 30 years of my career in this space, um, I've always apologized for leading emotionally. I've always kind of led from the heart and via instinct. And I think now um, designers and creatives that, that have a feel and that emotional propulsion forward to create through that lens are given permission to actually push that to the front. And that's exciting to me because it actually will blow up all of these things that are kind of stuck. And I do feel like, weirdly, the industry has been stuck for a long time in some of these spaces. And because all of the shitstorm we've all just gone through, we've been given permission to be human again. And um, people like myself and, and Bashar never gave a shit and just did our thing and asked for forgiveness later. But I'm excited. I'm excited to to sort of um, let designers, you know, kind of utilize that in the same way that owners and and operators and and just all the people around the table can actually follow their instinct about what would feel great in in all those decisions that are like a multi million decisions that are super big and super small and they all add up to what you feel in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I love that. I wanted to go back to technology and I wonder, again, for both of you, you know, there's the personalization. What are the like specific experiences with tech? Because we often think about technology as like dehumanizing us. How have you seen it bring humanity to the hospitality experience? I look at retail as a great inspiration for the proper use of technology. And I don't know about you. I, I, I have no secrets, so I don't worry about people tracking me and knowing what I want. I would much rather be served ads that are suitable to my needs and likes rather than be served random, irrelevant ads that mean nothing to me. So I think retail has managed to skillfully, elegantly, and artfully find a way to serve us up. Think about this. I'm on Instagram. I see brand X that I've never seen before. They grab my attention. Within three clicks, the thing is in the mail on its its way to me. Hotels, we've managed to sort of make it harder for you. Like we fight you at every step of the way that you're trying to give us your money. You're on our website trying to book. You get to the zip code field. 
We don't change the, the keyboard for you. You have to go change it yourself. And why do I want your zip code? Like, why do I need your zip code, right? <laughs> so I think the elegant way to use technology properly without the big brother thing is to really be able to cater to us individually, number one, right? This idea of personalization, because the only way I'm going to be able to personalize for you is if you allow me or you share your information. Otherwise, I don't know. But as you know, there's a lot of services now that will scrape the net and they'll find your social profiles and whatever you have and gather that information on you. And whether you like it or not, sorry to tell you, it's out there, right? It is almost virtually impossible to be non-existent on the web today if you want to live a normal life. The second part of that conversation is the idea of using technology to remove friction. So instead of asking me for my credit card and my driver's license and initial there and sign here, let's cut that out, replace it with technology, remove the friction to allow me now as you check in to engage with you and build up a relationship. I cry foul about the idea that our society has lost the art of courtship. We are immediate gratification. We swipe left, we swipe right, we want it now, we postmate. Like before, as mundane as this may seem, it's courtship. When you're when you are creating a relationship with a restaurant and you're reading the menu and you're asking them questions, that's a form of courtship. Now we click on a button and it shows up at our door. So I think for hospitality to provide something warm and fuzzy, we've got to re-engage in the art of courtship with our clients, with our guests, with our employees, by the way. I mean, I use that that in a very broad spectrum in all relationships that we have. Our, our lives have become transactional, and that is a sad world I do not want to live in. Yeah. And that that comes full circle to that idea of earning that coveted, beloved spot. That's not easy to do, but if you're if you're driving it through those those channels in a different way as opposed to the transactional, you know, kind of like land that client or or get that booking, it's a very different interaction. And I actually think that the fashion industry is doing a really good job at that because they're letting go of the selling of the product. And they're bringing people into their kind of creative spirit and their world around why they're designing and who they're designing for and what it means. And I think breaking down those barriers between music and lifestyle and culture back to fashion is super interesting to me. And that's a a great point, Denise. I tell all people when they go to sell, don't feature sell. Don't come to me and say, I have 300 rooms and I have this and I have that. I can see that on a website. Tell me why I should pick you over the next 10 other options that have the same thing you have. So to your point, build a relationship with me, practice the beautiful art of courtship with me, right? And people always take it in a sort of a, I don't know, opposite sex or marriage or whatever. Courtship could be done in every context, right? And it could be done through eye contact. You don't even have to talk to someone to create sort of your rapport, right? Like you're sitting on the subway and you give the nod to someone. You're like, all right, I got your back, fellow human. We're in this together. So there's a beautiful human connection that you can make that then would convince someone to do business with you because they feel that they're connected to you. I actually get asked often by designers, how do you owner pick a designer? And I say generally, look, by the time you've gotten to me, you're qualified. So don't whip out your portfolio. Don't tell me about the accolades and the awards. Let's have a relationship. We're going to spend a lot of time together. I want to feel that you can challenge me to do a better job and create a better product. So ultimately, it's chemistry. We've got to have chemistry. And that's, again, back to the courtship. Bashar and I have been dancing in this space for so long. Um, I think I think one of the things that that would be interesting to share under the, the hood of, of this design community um, on, on this audience is around the dance between operations and ownership and 
how that relates to you as a client. Um, because I think for me, all of my clients are relationships. They are, I, I think of them mostly as friends and colleagues that we happen to work together. And, and I also, you know, Sam knows this. I never think of my work as work. It's just my life. And this is what I do. So Bashar, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, that dance between operational, functional, you know, streamlining to sort of not throw out the baby with the bathwater when you have this ethos that you're, you're aiming for and how the designer can help you facilitate that. It's a really interesting question that circles around uh, sort of the very basis of everything we do is what I say, like start with the right team and the rest is easy. Hire, like I don't need to be that smart. I just need to hire the right people and they'll do the work ultimately. Hire people that are smarter than you are and get out of their way, right? Howard Schultz, I think, said that. So when it comes to design, I sort of jokingly say we operators want it to be prison grade, concrete floor, stainless steel walls. Bulletproof. Indestructible. I can hose it down top to bottom and be done with it because that makes my life so much easier and it helps me drive margin, right? Because we're fighting for every minute and every cent, particularly in today's world, given the macroeconomic uh, conditions and the micro issues vis-a-vis labor, et cetera. So I, I think the dance comes between and using the extremes on one hand, my prison grade analogy, and then on the other hand, this like precious, oh my God, don't touch it or it will break. And doing a room that's all white on white on white on white leather, where in two seconds, it's going to be destroyed and it will never look good again. So I think a good designer bridges that gap and they think both, because if you only think practically, it's going to be ugly and utilitarian. And if you only think aesthetically, it's going to be precious is what I call it. I don't want to walk into a precious room. I want to walk into a comfortable, warm room that provides me the aesthetic I'm looking for, but are also practical. And it's funny, we talk about how COVID has impacted design. I love layered rooms, right? Layer upon layer, texture, fabric, richness, depth. But you think about it today and someone will pause for a minute and be like, how, how do they clean all of that? Like, how do you get the seven layers of drapes and curtains and whatever clean? So there's going again to extremes. And, you know, life, it's funny. It's taken me a long time uh, to be older and wiser and understand that the world does not exist in binaries. It's not good or bad. It's not Scandinavian design or French design. Like there's a lot of in between. There's a lot of gray space. And I'm an OCD guy who loves to live in black and white. It just it, it, it's unrealistic. So I think a great designer will bridge that gap. And a great designer is someone who really will bring to bear how something can be both practical to some extent, not prison grade, but also beautiful and elegant by being creative. And one of the things that I cry foul often in our industry about is this idea that I actually wrote something about it, that we've all become lemmings. We all want to follow each other in whatever we do and copy each other because we think that's what's popular. And I challenge that notion by saying beautiful design doesn't have to follow any trends. It has to be timeless, right? And by definition, if you don't follow trends, you will be timeless. But for God's sake, enough with the walnut and the brass and the chevron and the Edison bulbs. There's a way to do things elegantly and beautifully and find the marriage between form and function. So I think the burden is on the designer to ultimately bridge that gap and really bring the team together. But ultimately, if you don't have the right team, if you have an owner who doesn't get it or an operator who doesn't get it, you're doomed for failure. But fundamentally, when it works, it works beautifully because then an op, like for example, I use this example often, Denise, don't design a kitchen 
that has three steps between it and the dining room because it's going to be a disaster. There'll be someone falling off those stairs every day. That's a very simple thing to think about that a designer, inexperienced designer may not think about that the operator can bring to bear and say, this doesn't make sense. But when it comes to design, I think, again, extremes in anything in life are terrible and there's a great way to be in the middle and look to other industries for inspiration. I mean, we talk a lot about retail. You see how retail is reinventing themselves? Hotels haven't. We keep going back to the same well and expecting different results. I think it's time for us to rethink how we think about a room. I'll give you a simple example. And sorry to draw a line here for a minute. Coffee makers in the room. It takes so much space. It takes so much energy. It's kind of a mess. I actually, funny enough, in Boston, I stayed at the Omni Seaport and they did one of those coffee makers like you would find at an airline uh, lounge, at air, airline lounge at an airport outside in the hallway. Better coffee, fresh ground. I can get a latte. I can get a cappuccino. And it eliminated that whole thing in the room. Now, people argue I want it in my room or I don't. You can't please everyone. But it was such an elegant solution done well that accomplishes all goals. Operator is thrilled. They don't have to clean the coffee maker in the room anymore. Guest, in my opinion, is thrilled. They get a better experience. And the owner is thrilled. They save money on not having to buy all those coffee makers. I, I think I think solutions like that come from really understanding where where something is broken and then looking at it through a new lens, right? Um, I remember when we did the Halcyon in, in, in Denver in Cherry Creek, we put all of the uh, room amenities and the water on the elevator lobbies and um, got rid of all the plastic. And this was like crazy idea, crazy idea. And now like everyone's like, wow, we could actually do that. Like, I mean, kind of basic. And then, you know, Stern like took it one step further at the one and it's in every room. But again, we have running water in every room. Why do we need plastic bottles in the fridge? I hate a fridge that that vibrates and makes noise and makes me feel like like crazy. We had the honor of hearing Danny Myers speak this past week at, at a conference in Miami. And um, there was something about his optimism and his energy after coming off of an industry that's been literally decimated for two years. And he was talking about, you know, the challenges with keeping people employed and engaged and taking care of people. And I think that um, this idea of not having, knowing what the solutions are, but trying things on and leading from a soulful perspective of taking care of others, which seems to be a theme for Bashar and I today, it really left me feeling like I wish there were more people that approached these problems through that lens, because I think in the end, all boats rise. And if we take care of the people we were asking to take care of our customers, then it all just sort of feels like the right, the right thing to do. Um, so, you know, I think this idea of, of designers having an answer and saying, this is what it should be. It really is an iterative process of trying something, following your gut, testing it, and then revisiting it. And I think what's in the industry, what happens is there are things that have kind of been stuck there, like a coffee pot in the room that has to do with SOPs and, and, you know, streamlining of whatever happens in the public spaces. Um, if you get rid of all of the preconceived ideas about how to measure those margins and look at it through the experience itself, you could actually probably save a lot of money by getting rid of all the crap <laughs> and just focusing on the things that really matter. Uh, you're going to regret opening that door for me now because I think that the Danny Meyer um, conversation was definitely heartfelt. And I think he's obviously, I, I call him one of the patron saints of our industry. He does deserve 
sainthood. But I think COVID, at least for me personally, has taught me that you know there's power in vulnerability. We are taught we, as leaders, we, we have to know the answer. We have to decide what to do. We have to be strong. But I think you're even stronger to come to your team and say, guys, I've never been through a COVID before. I have no idea what to do. And I think that makes you a better leader than pretending to know when you actually don't know. So I think the idea of vulnerability, and, and it transcends, again, all levels. To your point, like if we're tackling a problem, you don't have to know every answer. You should say, I don't know, and let's together figure it out because that's how you get the best solution and the best answer. And the other thing that Danny touched on that's funny, I've been working on in my shop, but this idea, we're sort of half-jokingly, but I'm going to trademark it, calling it the give-a-shit-ability factor. Only you could trademark that. Exactly. And I will. I will. Mike, my words. And, and, and the, the thought behind the give-a-shit-ability really is, I think today, humans at large want a reason to care. More than just a nice hotel, more than just a good job that pays the bills, more, 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 more. They really need a reason to say, I have the choice of three jobs that all pay the same. They all have the same benefits. They're all generally in a similar setup in a similar location. Why should I choose one over the other? I will choose them because their values align with my values, their beliefs. And, you know, it's, it starts to sound political. It's apolitical. It's none of that. It's just the idea of, you know, being good humans. I want to I work for people that are good humans. And guests, similarly, you know, we hear a lot about the cancel culture, but the opposite of the cancel culture are people flocking to your establishment because your values align with theirs. So I think no longer can we say, I have great design. I have, I have, I have, I have. Well, so what everybody else does. How do I make you choose me? And not everybody, right? But I don't need everybody. I need a small slice of people who that concept of value system matters to because then they'll be loyal, right? Because otherwise we're a commodity, right? I mean, think about it. Hotels are a room and a shower. I'll stay anywhere. It doesn't matter. And they're all nice and they're all high design. So this idea, again, of give a shit ability truly, I think, will become more and more and more important generationally as we go through life. Again, you know, generally speaking, I'm generalizing. Obviously, people tend to say, oh, yeah, the creative class and the whatever affluent areas. I think it's far greater than that. I think we're all realizing how precious life is and how precious all the resources, right? Like everybody cares about not destroying the planet, I hope. Maybe not everybody, but certainly most. Bashar, this has been so awesome. Thanks for sharing your passion and your expertise with us. It was great. Thank you, guys. Listeners, if you want to see more of Bashar's work, you can go to thisassembly.com and check out practicehospitality.com as well. Okay, folks, it's that time, my favorite time of the week. We're going to share our weekly dose of good design. These are our examples of good, thoughtful design that has impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll go first. So mine is a show on Netflix that literally had me rolling with laughter. The show's called Murderville. It's so funny. So the premise is, uh, so it stars Will Arnett, uh, who if you have any uh, Arrested Development fans, he, he was played Job. And so uh, Will Arnett plays this eccentric detective named Terry Seattle, and he's like a senior homicide detective. And uh, it's a <laughs> 90% of the show is, is scripted and it's like a comedy about him solving these homicides. But there's one person on the show that always changes his new partner. And it's someone who has no idea what's going on. Like They don't have the script. They're just being themselves. So the first episode was Conan O'Brien. Right. And like the, the captain comes in and is like, Terry, there's been a murder. 
And Terry's like, all right, Conan, like we got to go solve this. They're like a trainee. It's all like, I don't know about anyone listening, but like on Saturday Night Live, like when one of the cast members like laughs a little bit during one of the sketches, that's like when I lose it. And this show is all like them just laughing at Will Arnett playing this detective and like trying to solve the crimes. Then there's another layer that there's actually the clues around. So they're basically at the end of the show, it's the trainee's responsibility to choose who was the the real murderer. So there's also this like mystery involved, but you're also like laughing so hard. So check it out on Netflix. It's called Murderville. Denise, you're up. That that is awesome. Okay, well, other end of the spectrum. Um I think I'm going to shine a light on um my current fashion crush uh on the brand Loewe. I am amazed at what they've done mostly in the online space, but then with their product around um collaboration. And I think the future of collaboration, I mean, the future of the world is in these like really crazy, combustive, collaborative partnerships in the creative space and in the design space. So Loewe just worked with um, with Studio Ghibli on the Spirited Away um, capsule collection. And Jurgen Teller did all the photography and uh, the Studio Ghibli did all these like animations on their social Around the the capsule collection, they created these amazing um, animated pieces that married the magical world of um, what was happening in Spirited Away with the product and with the the world. And it's super cool. And of course, Jurgen Teller is off the hook crazy, fabulous. But I also love what Loewe is doing with um, their foundation. And they really always come back to the craftsmanship and how the the leather goods and these like really beautifully crafted fashion and accessory line is made. And so I just am obsessed with both their Instagram and their LinkedIn feeds kind of always like never disappoint. So that's my weekly dose. That's sweet. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Very cool. Listeners, if you have a great weekly dose of good design, I want to hear it. I want to share it on the podcast. You can tweet it at me at Sam Aquilano. Denise, it's always a pleasure and a joy. This is so much fun. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. Okay, that's our show. Again, I want to thank Denise Korn and Bashar Wali for joining us. What a cool conversation. Thank you all for listening. We will post all the links and resources we discussed today on our episode page. So visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. You can always find the latest from us on social media. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at Design Museum Everywhere. You can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. And then we have a pretty awesome weekly email newsletter as well. And you can sign up for that right on our website. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Design Is Everywhere anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your ratings and reviews really help us reach more people so we can keep chatting about the transformative power of design each week. Thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. This episode was written, edited, and produced by the amazing Amor Yates. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for being here, and we'll talk again next week.